Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show, getting you ready for tomorrow evening's big football game here in Eugene. We call it a big football game. I'm not quite sure. Does it quantify as a big football game? No. Uh, Oregon is a 28 and a half point favorite. And this game against Arizona truly feels like another. FCS or really bad FBS type of a game. Um, if if Arizona was not in the Pac-12, I don't think I would be looking at it in the light that I am. Um, but what an intro for for a football game, right? Yeah, uh, go team. Yeah, Oregon Oregon comes in number three in the country. Uh, they are three and zero. Arizona comes in quite opposite. They are zero and three. Uh, Jed Fish, new head coach, his first season at the helm. Uh, they lost last week to Northern Arizona. And I think that kind of put any chance of this game having any kind of pulse from a national perspective to rest when Arizona lost that game. Um, game will be on 730. Game on ESPN. Dave Fleming, Rod Gilmore, uh, Stormy uh, Butanami will be on the call for ESPN. Uh, all three of us will be here. Uh, and I, I, I think the biggest thing, guys, for this this game that we probably are anticipating watching isn't maybe what the final score is going to be like, but more of who plays and, and how healthy do they look uh, and then what younger guys get into this football game. I think for me, I, I just want a decisive win. Too. Like just yeah. if, if they, assuming they get guys into the game in the second half, which we hope happens and which we I think expect will happen, that's a win for me. I mean that, that's really how I quantify success here. I think we talked about that earlier in the week. Um, you'd love to see more Ty Thompson at quarterback. Yep. And, th- and we should note we're going to get some injury stuff later, but Brown just to kind of early indications are he's going to play. Sounds yep. very, very positive that he will play based upon what Mario Cristobal has said. But I'd love to see Ty Thompson get some snaps in the second half. And, and shoot, I'd love to see a game script that's sort of similar in terms of the whole fourth quarter being the Trey Bensons and Dante Thorntons and Byron Cardwells and all those players playing on offense. Um, that was really fun to watch. Um, you know, and you go look at the content we've produced based upon the outcomes of that game on Saturday. Most of it has been younger players, first moments in the bright lights. Trey Bunsen's wearing a touchdown, you know, Ty Thompson's game, you know, Jeffrey Bossa playing a bunch of snaps. These are the kind of things we've written about um, throughout this week. And I think this game feels like it'll be another one that provides us similar opportunities a week from now of maybe this is the game where Troy Franklin gets in the end zone. Maybe uh, this is a game where someone on defense, a younger player who hasn't played a lot, has some big moments. Maybe Keith Brown, who, by the way, it sounds like he's going to play. Maybe this is his big game. And that wouldn't be in – um, in moments at an end of in a blowout, he's going to start and play a ton. So, um, but yeah, a lot of young guys, I think, with an opportunity to play here. Obviously, you, you know, Oregon won't discount the opponent. Mario Cristobal has been very, very clear on that. 
um, give some very heartfelt kind of pleas, which I thought was sort of telling a little bit of like, obviously he's answering our questions. Um, but I think he wants the, the players and, and just to remind them that, hey, this game matters. The opponent, yeah. matters. you can dismiss Arizona like you like, like we can dismiss Arizona. I think that's fine. Right. Obviously, we're in the media. We're covering the team. We're around them. We don't think Arizona is good. And I think anybody objectively wouldn't suggest they are. Um, but the school needs to take them seriously. So I think that part I thought was notable. You go, go back and watch. I asked a question about DJ James um, and how he got beat a couple times in coverage. This was on Wednesday. And, and, and Mario had an answer that started with kind of assessing some of the coverage stuff, but turned into a reminder of you cannot ever take your opponent lightly. Anybody can beat you at any moment and kind of use that as a, um, a reference point. So um, that part obviously is huge. And I think the team's got its head on, right? And I'm not expecting this game to be competitive, but we are hoping best case that, again, there's a lot of guys in the second half playing. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I think Oregon's going to come out competitive. But like you said, Eric, like it, it doesn't matter if they cover the, the spread. It's 28 and a half points. It's a big spread to cover. I do feel confident that they will. But, you know, I'd like to – I'd really like to see basically how it was last week where you go into the first drive of the second half and there's some backups already in there. It doesn't have to necessarily be a quarterback. Maybe you give Brown some more reps because he missed last half of, of the Stony Brook game. Sure. But, yeah, the fourth quarter, the last half of the third and fourth quarter, um, just getting guys who don't see the field as often in there, uh, like Bossa, like all the running backs, uh, you know, Isaiah Brevard, Dante Thornton, uh, even Isaiah Crocker, get him some run. Just people like that who – at one point during the season, we'll probably have to come in because we're only three games in about to be four. There's due to be more injuries, even though Oregon's already had the injury bug. So you need to give those guys reps. And we saw last week that there's a lot of talent and a lot of depth on this Oregon roster. But even still, you give them another game, you give them another half, whatever the case may be, of just playing, learning the game, learning the playbook. Uh, it's, it's just extremely helpful for these younger guys to get in there and just just learn. So I think that's what I'll be looking for the most. I expect Oregon to come out and execute and you know not play to their competition level, but play above. And uh, I think and Cristobal, I think that answer to DJ James was pretty pretty surprising. It almost started like he was throwing James under the bus for a second, but sure. it was very clear that he like that's the team mentality, like not to take anybody lightly. So I think that's what's going to happen this weekend. I think it'll be, um, I think it'll be beneficial if Oregon is, has won the game in the first half. It was interesting that Travis Dye, I think after the Stony Brook game, said that this team sometimes, I think it was Travis Dye, that sometimes plays down to its competition, and that it was Travis, and that they need to figure out as a collective group um, to come out and start on fire and play really well and, and not take a half to warm up. Um, and I, I think that's going to be a, a, a thing of importance to look at in this game because Arizona is a team that should have no business competing with, with Oregon on the football field. Um, they have four four-star recruits on their team. That, that's it. Oregon has 44. You know, Oregon has as many five-star players on their roster as Arizona has four-star players on their roster, if you want to put it in another context. Like, this is a game that should not be close, and this is a game like what both of you said, where I, I Oregon needs to come out and just hammer them early. And like Jason Shear said on this podcast yesterday, 
if Arizona falls behind big early, they probably don't have the offense to make a run to make things interesting. Like he, he said their offense is horrible and he, and they, they truly cannot move the ball and can't score the football. And if you get up big early, that kind of just ends it right then and there. Like mm-hmm. Arizona will just kind of understand, like, we're not going to stop trying, but we can try all the best we can, but we're not built to, to win a game by 28, you know, 28, 35 or something of that nature. You know, I, that's why I think it's so important if Oregon could come out and like what you guys have said is score big early in the first half so that your second half, the game is already no longer in doubt and you can play these bench guys. That's why it's important for the first quarter. Honestly, like if you can score in your first three drives, like two, two touchdowns and a field goal, at minimum, ideally three touchdowns, it probably puts the game away and really opens up everything uh, from a game plan perspective. Like defensively, if you know Arizona just has to throw the ball to try and keep up, that's going to play right into what Oregon wants. Mm-hmm. Problem for Arizona is they don't really do either thing very well. And actually, yeah. even though there's all these question marks at quarterback, they've thrown the ball better than they've run it. So, I mean, we talk about like – from a game plan perspective, I, I really think Oregon has the edge offensively running the ball and passing the ball. Defensively, they have the edge running the ball, passing the ball. I mean, there's not really a component here where Arizona has an advantage. And, yeah. you know, I think you, that typically even in a game where, where it's a little lopsided, you could point to like, okay, well, that team's really good against the run, and that's going to give Oregon some issues. Um, I don't know if Arizona really has an area that way. I think the, the, the really the only thing with Arizona that they do really well that could be disruptive is just how aggressive they are at at blitzing and getting after the quarterback Mm -hmm. and showing a bunch of kind of different looks, exotic looks. So maybe they catch Oregon off guard and they force a bunch of turnovers. And like you said, that makes it so Arizona leads early. I mean, Arizona really needs something kind of stuff to break their way. And when you're Oregon in this game, I really think it's as simple as if you just play a clean game and you don't turn it over, you don't shoot yourself in the foot with turnover, with turnovers, with penalties, with, you know, simple assignment errors of not picking up a guy in a blitz, which is something that bit them a couple times against Stony Brook right at the end of the first half, or um, or missing an open receiver. You know, on the you know on a deep ball. Think about how many times Brown has missed that. I don't think they lose the game because of that. But those sort of things, to me, determine kind of the outcome of, of this game. Not that the game is going to go Arizona's way, but like if this is a blowout game, or if this is a game where in the second half you have to play some of your ones, because I. I I truly think if this game is played even and there's no turnovers for either side, Oregon's going to boat race Arizona because Arizona's just not good enough on offense in either you know facet, and they're not good enough on defense really in either facet. So um, clean game is, is crucial for me in this one, and, and that's probably you know we talk about keys to the game later. It's probably one of the most important things is just Oregon's been really good at protecting the football. Matt asked some good questions this week about it. We'll have some stuff up this week on it, but. Oregon has one turnover all season. They've given the ball away just one time. If they, if that's one turnover or fewer in this game, I think it's it's very very hard to foresee Arizona even being competitive. You brought up a good point. Oh, go ahead, Jared. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, Eric. You brought up a good point about uh, about the deep ball. I was actually thinking about that yesterday, where Greg Williams, Doctor Heat, loves to blitz. Loves, loves, loves it to the day he dies. It's gotten him <laughs> a lot of trouble recently, but I'm thinking. Oregon's going to have a lot of one-on-one opportunities on the outside and their wide receivers are much more talented than Arizona's DBs. So if there's a day for Anthony Brown to unleash his good deep ball 
like against Arizona, is it? And if that's the case, and if like you're saying, like if he doesn't throw any interceptions or turn turn the ball over at all, it could be it could be over real quick. Because if they take advantage of that two or three times, you know, it'll be 14, 21, nothing. And it could be just you know, the end of the day for Arizona. Moving over to the injury front, good news, basically all the way around for Oregon. Um, Anthony Brown, like Eric has said, he should be good to go. He should play. Mario Cristobal said he's good. He's fine. Um, we also know uh, that Mace Funa will be back. We know that Adrian Jackson will be back. We know that Keith Brown will be back. Um, we also know players who left the game against Stony Brook with injuries. Stony, uh, Stephen Jones and um, Troy Franklin, both those guys are healthy and available, according to Mario Cristobal, for this football game. Kayvon Thibodeau is very close to being full go. Um, he's started to take part in some parts of practice, um, but unclear yet if they're going to play him. And it's kind of one of those, like, you shouldn't need Kayvon Thibodeau to be the difference in winning this football game. And if maybe another week of rest ensures he's fully ready for Stanford, uh, then maybe you do that. Or maybe you you get him out there for a couple series and then you pull him off quickly just to get him, you know, to break a sweat and get, you know, get back some of that rust off of, of being out of action for a couple of weeks. Um, so, but long story short, it seems like he's close. And really the only guy that we know of going into the game is Braden Swenson, Crystal Ball calling him, questionable, doubtful, kind of joked about he didn't really know what the terms, you know, meant. They meant the same thing in his mind. Um, he didn't feel confident that Swinson would be good to go this week, but it didn't sound like it was a long-term injury thing. So from a, a standpoint, uh, real quick, yes, Justin Flo is not playing. So stop asking that question. Um, from an injury standpoint, though, it feels like this team's like – as close to 100% as they possibly could be, you know, when you take into the fact the guys that got hurt in fall camp and guys that that are out for the year right now with long-term injuries. Yeah, I mean, they're they're nowhere near 100% in terms of they had a lot of guys who are out for the year, out for an extended period of time, probably like a dozen, Jared. What do you think? It's close to that number that are just, like, not playable right now and probably for the year. I mean, it's a bunch probably of guys. Close to probably that. Probably at least 10, yeah. Um, and, and some of them are notable players. Some of them are young guys that, like, frankly, wouldn't probably be playing a lot anyway, but that are out. Um, right. So that part is certainly significant. But, yeah, I mean, they're rounding into form. This is as close as they'll be to full health since the, probably Fresno State. Um, the Brown thing, I think, is really huge. I know we kind of touched on that earlier in the week when positive indications were made by Mario on on Monday. Um, I think early, I said earlier – Earlier, I think I said early indications on Brown that he'll play. Actually, late indications as well, because I think Mario basically said he's going to play on Saturday. So that's huge. Um, that's significant. I mean, I think Oregon wins regardless of the quarterback in this one. And we saw enough from Ty Thompson to feel really good about what this offense can look like without Anthony Brown um, in it. At the same time, you need Anthony Brown. I think he's your quarterback all year. You want to maximize these opportunities. Um, you want to see him play better. I think there's still some stuff you want to see from him, especially we talk about vertical passing. So I think that's significant, obviously. The KT stuff is what it is. You know, we'll see. I think it's a game time decision. Uh, we've seen him leaving practice recently, at least on Wednesday. He was actually dressed in what looked to be pads. Um, 
I think he was wearing sneakers instead of cleats, though, which is sort of interesting. But I think it's like it's certainly like he's the to me is the I mean, <laughs> Mario just joked about not knowing the difference between questionable and doubtful for Braden Swinson. I think it sounds like Swinson's doubtful and Thibodeau is really questionable. I think Thibodeau really sounds like the definition of questionable based upon what Mario has said. Um, I still kind of think this is a really good opportunity to play him. Um, a game that we don't expect to be competitive. See how it feels on that ankle. And as Matt said, maybe you don't play him. You, you put him on almost a pitch count like you see in baseball or a minutes restriction like you see in basketball. Call it a, a rep count or a snap count for football. And you say, you're only going to play 20 snaps today. But you're going to play, and you're going to play those 20 snaps as hard as you can. The game shouldn't be in, in the balance. And if it is late, maybe you say, we're, gonna, we're actually going to play you 35 because we need to win this football game, and you're going to play more. But like I, that would be my approach with Thibodeau if it's really that close. Is I think it's worthwhile to play in person. Yeah, I don't, I don't see the how it doesn't benefit the team to play him, even on the snap count like you just mentioned. Uh, like to have him go against Stanford in his first game back potentially, I think it would be just. I think he'd be fine. He'd obviously perform well, but I think it wouldn't be as good of an idea of getting him, letting him go against Arizona. Like, you know, after the game, he's going to be sore. He might be nicked up a little bit. But if you get that out of the way against Arizona and you don't let him get a go against that on Stanford's physical offensive line, I think that's the benefit here. But I think a snap count is probably the idea because they'll have more ends coming back. You'll have Mace Funa. Obviously, Braden Swinson is out, but Adrian Jackson will be back as well. You know, those, those four guys were all gone against Stony Brook. Didn't play one snap. So... That'll help just the defensive front for Oregon all game long. Um, it's been a, it was a rather good injury update from Coach Cristobal. He basically said everybody's good to go except for Swinson. Um, and, you know, that's going to be, it's going to play huge dividends on Oregon's defense. And even still, you saw them last week perform unbelievably well without all those guys, with Nate Hukliani playing most of, most of the snaps at linebacker. Uh, I'm excited to see Keith Brown get a, basically a full game to participate. Uh, we sort of saw it against Ohio State, but he came out in second quarter, third quarter. I think it was third quarter where he came out on a crossing route to Chris Olave. But it's good. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to see all the young guys go and, and and see what this defense looks like again, relatively healthy. Just really quick, Matt. Uh, Jared brought up Keith Brown. I just want to note I didn't touch on that. That's probably the player healthy, aside from KT, if he is available, that I'm most excited about. Just because yeah. that that's your long time, long term starter now with Flow out and Mathis out. Right. Um, he could start the whole rest of the season at will, and we haven't really seen him play a lot. True freshman from Lebanon, from the state of Oregon. So, um, I that I co-signed that one, Jared. Good point. That's a guy to really I think put, you know pay attention to. It sounds like he'll be good. All right, I don't think we should spend too much time going over how bad Arizona is. Um, but to give you some context, Eric's put some data together. And if real quick, if you didn't listen to our preview podcast with Jason Shear of Wildcat Authority yesterday, um, to give you an idea of how bad that loss for Northern Arizona at home was, he mentioned that the media contingent there after the game was over kind of huddled up and kind of hypothesized of how bad of a loss was it for Arizona football. And they came to the conclusion that it wasn't just the worst loss in Arizona football program history. It was probably the worst loss in Arizona athletics history. Um, he pointed out that just a couple of years ago under Kevin Sumlin, 
that Arizona team beat Northern Arizona like 77 to 7. Um, it was, and, and Arizona was just got awful. And Eric's just got some stats here real quick uh, to kind of hammer that point home of just <clears throat> why this is a team Oregon should blow out. Well, there's a ton. I mean, honestly, you could go. go. So I, just for just for the uh, background here, go to college football or CFBstats.com is a great, I think, website. To, and obviously, NCAA.com is the official stats. But CFBstats.com, I think, is great. It's a little better interface to find everything. You just click through the Pac-12 rankings. Like Arizona is 11th or 12th and basically everything, which probably doesn't surprise you too much. Um, I think ones that are that were especially notable to me were, were just offensively this is the worst team at protecting the quarterback in the conference. They've given up 10 sacks in three games. If Thibodeau plays, this could be a real fun, fun one for him to come out and, and potentially just like tear things up for a little bit. Um, you talk about getting this game off to the right footing. If imagine if Thibodeau comes out and just tear, you know, two to three sacks in the first quarter, Oregon goes up big. Um, you know, that's significant. That offensive line is really bad for Arizona. Um, as much as I've made about the Arizona passing offense being kind of questionable. I mean, they shoot, they don't even know who their quarterback is. They're still you know, picking between kind of three guys, although it sounds like it's really two. It's going to be either Gunnar Cruz, who was the opening day starter, or Jordan McLeod, who, who came in and replaced Will Plummer, the other quarterback, um, against Northern Arizona. And Plummer apparently was so bad, they're not even considering him in this competition, which really says something about how poorly that performance was because <laughs> they've already they don't know who they like, but they really don't know they don't like that guy. Um, we talked about how that pass offense is crappy. The rushing offense is worse. It ranks yeah. in the Pac-12. They average 73 yards per game on the ground. Um, so this is a team offensive. It just doesn't really do anything right. Um, they've turned it over five times in three games, which isn't the worst in the conference. I think it's actually third worst. Arizona State's given it away about eight times already, and that, that tells you a lot about what's going on with the Sun Devils. But Offensively, they, they, they turn the ball over, they can't run it, and they can't pass it. So, I don't know. That seems like a hard combination. It's hard to figure out how you're going to win football games. That combination of factors. Defensively, this team is terrible against the run. Um, they gave up 148 yards to Northern Arizona. Um, they gave up 271 to San Diego State. Um, San Diego State is a, a good, a very good team, but they shouldn't be running for that many yards on anybody in the Pac-12. Um they are good at getting to the passer. And actually the one, like the, the area that they actually kind of are probably the most competitive is just against the passer on passing downs. Cause they are, as you said, Jared um, with Don Brown, there, really aggressive in getting sacks, getting to the quarterback, but also um, their corners are really good. Actually. Um, you know, I think, I think it was James that brought up the fact that uh, one of their corners, I think from a PFP, PFF perspective is among the tops in the nation. Um, that's a kind of an area to watch just to see how well Oregon can win those matchups. I think Oregon's probably significantly better, but at the same time, this is a team that's pretty dreadful just in every category. Like aside from getting pressure on the closing quarterbacks, kind of nothing to really write home about. Let's dive into our predictions here. Um, I'll start with offensive player. Um, I think we are going to see two different receivers on this team go over 85 yards receiving. And while that doesn't seem like the craziest stat, it is one that doesn't happen very often at Oregon. Um, I, I think we see two guys go over 85 yards receiving, in part because of what you guys brought up earlier of 
The one thing Arizona likes to do defensively is kind of sell out for quarterback pressure, quarterback sacks, tackles for loss type situations, which is going to create some one-on-one matchups. And I think Arizona has a solid defensive back group. I think Oregon's receiving core is better. And we're, we're and potentially, you know, the tight end. It could be the tight ends here. You know, seeing how the mismatch they're becoming, uh, I just think we see a we see two uh, offensive players for Oregon have 85 yards or more receiving. Well, the significance there, Matt, is also Oregon hasn't had a single one of those yet this season, which yeah. um, is kind of mm-hmm. crazy. Um, you know, I would have expected at this point we'd already have seen a little bit of that. I think you bring a good point there of the tight ends for Oregon having some success. I know Sheer brought it up. I'm trying to pull up the exact stats here right now. Um, yeah, the leading receiver against for San Diego State against Arizona was their tight end, Daniel Bellinger. He had three catches for 113 yards and a touchdown. Two of those were really long pass plays. Um, this could be a game for maybe Maliki Matavao, maybe for Terrence Ferguson, maybe Spencer Webb to, to potentially go out and have a big game in the passing game. I like that one, Matt. Um, I went run game. I, I, think, I really think this game is going to be just one where Oregon goes – we dominate on the ground against most teams. Arizona is terrible against the run. Let's just run the ball all day, right down their throat. So I have C.J. Verdell running for a season high this season. His previous season best was 161 yards against Ohio State. Give me uh, C.J. Verdell runs for at least 162 this weekend. I like that. I went, I went run heavy as well. I kind of felt the same way about this game as you, Eric. I feel like Oregon's just going to run it into the ground. And they might not score a lot of points, but they'll just dominate the game. I actually have three running backs get at least 60 yards. So I'm thinking specifically Verdell, Dye, and Trey Benson is the third pick. So I think they'll all at least get 60. I think Trey will get his mostly in the second half. But, yeah, just, again, hearing hearing what everybody has said about Trey and watching him play last week uh, – you know, listening to him speak the other day at media, this guy could be a dude. I, you know, he he just seems like he's got he's got something in him. So three running backs over sixty yards. Individual offensive player here. I'm sticking with your guys' theory of heavy run game attack um, over the course of the game. I just don't think it's going to be C.J. Verdell. I think it's going to be Travis Dye. Um, I I think. Oregon has been very diligent in eliminating the contact that Verdell takes unless it's a big game. He played almost the entire game against Ohio State and then Fresno State and Stony Brook. He did not start either of those games. He, I don't think he had the high carries for either of those games as well. Um, so I, I'm going Travis Dye has a 100-yard performance for Oregon and leads the team in rushing yards. So was the previous one individual or team offensive prediction? Because I think you I said messed it up. I did I did I did team first. So okay. if you guys have team ones, you can Let's do that. team ones because I because I just made my individual. I have a team. Yeah. All right. So piggybacking off of the CJ part and even what you just said and actually what both of you have predicted for individual. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going Oregon amasses more than 270 yards on the ground. This is identical logic to what I used for Verdell where it's the season high offensive output on the on the ground so over 270 yards they ran for 269 against Ohio State I think they I really just think this is one where they just pound the rock I could see this being 300 more than 300 yards maybe running um on the ground for Oregon again Arizona's really bad 
on the ground. And because and honestly, I also have, I, mean, I really think this game from a game script perspective could be one where it's like Arizona's offensive possessions could be pretty short. And that's not to say that I think Oregon is going to give mercy here, but I think part of it could be a thing where it's like, they might not need to throw it too much to just dominate this game. That doesn't mean they won't throw it, but I think they're going to just pound the ball on the ground all day. I'm the same way. Yeah, like this is I, – I predicted that Oregon's rushing offense is going to get over 300 yards of running and four touchdowns. Um, you know, this is – it goes to both Anthony Brown and all the running backs as well. Like I think they're just going to take advantage of their legs. Uh, the offensive line is more physical. They're just – you know, if they can – they can rush it for over 250 yards against Ohio State. You know, what's stopping them from getting to 300 against Arizona? Uh, and I agree with you, Eric, on the game plan. I don't necessarily think they'll, they'll throw the ball more than 20 times. I just don't think they'll need to. Uh, with how often Arizona blitzes, I feel like it's probably safer to just hand the ball off in, in a general sense. And not that Anthony Brown is, you know, like the coaches don't have confidence to make the right read, but – I just, they just aren't going to need to throw the ball 25, 30 times to win this game. I think they're just going to hand it off. They have a, a gluttony of running backs who are capable of, of performing, and that's what they're going to do. Real quick, about my my team pick for two guys over 85 yards receiving. Um, Oregon is right in the middle of the pack for throwing uh, yards per attempt at 7.5. I'm with you guys that I don't think – they throw the ball more than 30 times in this game. I just think their yards per attempt average is going to skyrocket above double digits just because when they do throw, it's going to be for big yardage. Um, I, I think that's where some of my stats will come from is they're not going to throw a ton, but you know it's kind of like what you, you saw that San Diego State tight end, three catches for like 115 yards. Like I could see that happening for you know at least one guy for Oregon – going over a hundred and another guy having, you know, three or four catches for 85 yards. Um, that's how I, how I see their passing attack going that way. Um, all right. Defensive player. I'll stick with the tune here. Defensive player predictions. Um, I'm going with Rome McKinley. I, I think he has been on a tear and is just very opportunistic in finding the football. I think he, is on the receiving end of two turnovers in this football game again. That could be him getting an interception. Uh, could be him getting a fumble recovery or forcing a fumble. Um, but I think he's going to be responsible for two more turnovers in this game. I went, I went pretty vague on my on this one just because I wanted to touch on sacks, and it's not clear to me. If Thibodeau or Swinson are playing, and those are the guys I would probably pick to be the, the top sack guys. Mace Foon and Adrian Jackson are just coming off injuries, so I don't know how much they'll play. So it's like four already of my top probably six or seven picks are like questionable because of injuries. Um, so I'm going vague here, but predicting a single defensive player for Oregon records two or more sacks. I said it before, Arizona's really bad in pass protection. Oregon's going to get there. Um if I was to pick somebody that's not an obvious name, like I have this weird hunch that maybe Brandon Buckner gets a couple, just because we've seen him, we've seen him beat. He's from the state of Arizona, for starters. So there's a little bit of that, and there's also just the element of he's been really close a couple times already. In fact, against Ohio State, he probably gets there if not for a hold that they didn't throw a flag on. Um, and even this last game against Stony Brook was, I thought, at least around the football quite a bit. I think he was a part of the contingent of players that were 
you know, hit the quarterback a little bit late and they threw a flag. He was one of the guys that was involved in that. So I think he's around the ball enough. I think he could be a name, but I'm just going to keep it vague and say somebody does it. I like that one. Uh, for me, I went specific. I went with Bennett Williams. I think Bennett, <clears throat> I think Bennett's been tremendous this year. I have him over eight and a half tackles and over 0.5 tackles for loss. So I think he's going to have a really good all around game. Once again, um, he's all over the field for Oregon, him and Noah Sewell, like watching those guys, obviously they're not both linebackers, but they, they have very similar play styles in that they're just all over the field, one side to the other. They're there, they make clean tackles, they wrap everybody up. They're very good in open space. Um, I think this is just going to be one of those games where Bennett's going to be used as a pseudo linebacker because of the depth at linebacker at the position. Maybe Keith Brown alleviates that, but I still think Bennett's going to have a good day. So over eight and a half tackles, over 0.5 tackles for loss. Great specificity. Love it. All right. And team, team defensive stats here. Um, I'm going to go for a second week in a row. I almost got this last week against Stony Brook. If it wasn't for our first half where they, in the first quarter, they went almost the length of the field for a score and their only score, I probably would have got it. Um, but I think Oregon holds Arizona's offense under 250 yards. Um, they had just, Stony Brook had just 10 yards of offense against Oregon in the third quarter. We could see something similar to, to that this weekend against Arizona. Um, I'm going to under 250 total yards allowed by Oregon's defense for a second straight week. I'm going to bet on the winning racehorse from last week. I got this one correct. I'm just going to stick with it. And that's Oregon's defense forces for turnovers. Um, I also predicted a defensive touchdown last week, but those two for one predictions didn't pay off and I got half of it right. So I'm going to try to learn from that and just avoid two for ones even though you guys are doing that, just for my Scobaldamas predictions perspective, because I'm 23.3% right now, but if I didn't do all these two-in-one predictions, I'd be like 40%, so, um, or close, I don't know, exactly the percentage. I didn't do all the maths. Um, I did some of the maths, but not all of it. Um, so I think Oregon forces def four defensive turnovers. Um, turnovers, I said it like I was a Boston accent. Yeah. <laughs> for the tournament. Um, I think I just think Arizona's really a, like just not a very clean football team, and and there's so many questions at quarterback that I just think the ball is going to be put into play more than you'd like. And Oregon's in a similar to Matt's thing with Verone. I, I just think there's going to be a lot of opportunities to take the ball away. And Oregon's defense has already shown they're really good at that right now. So I'm going to do a three for one. I'll parlay. Oh, three I've for got, one. <laughs> I've got I've got a bit of both of your guys' predictions. I have Arizona under 300 yards of total offense. I have two picks for Oregon's defense and at least four sacks. Three Damn. for one. A dominant performance. That's that's a lot to, to, to focus gonna, on. Yeah, we're going to see if we can hit this week. We have to start tracking these for all of us, by the way. I track the my individual ones on my Scopal Damas column. We need to see how we – we'll have to go back and listen and see how we're doing so far because I, I, I think you guys have done better than I have, actually. I know at least for against Ohio State you did. <laughs> what do we win? Without yeah, what do we win here? For the winner. <laughs> right. Nothing. Okay. I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> Oregon, final score prediction against Arizona. How do we see this game playing out um, – Honestly, guys, like, I wouldn't be surprised one bit if this is a game that Oregon maybe holds a shutout and they finish 
in the low 40s, high 30s. Um, that wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. I think there, there will be a little bit more scoring on both teams' side of the ball. Um, I, I think Oregon comes out really prepared for Pac-12 play. I think it's been not by coincidence, but Mario Cristobal has talked a couple times this week and has brought up the fact that uh, conference play games are like playoff games and that every game is a big game and that every team can beat anybody if you're not prepared. I, th I think that's been a message that he's been trying to send to this team that you need to come out, doesn't matter who you're playing, and play really well. And so I think we see that against a really bad Arizona team. I think this game gets out of hand quick. And then the second half, it's basically just, hey, let's get out of here healthy. Let's end this game quickly. Let's get some of our younger guys some reps, and we'll go from there. I think Oregon dominates start to finish. Arizona walks away not really feeling confident about anything that they did in this game. And I'm thinking Oregon wins this one 52-10. to 10. Mm. Some data here for why my prediction before I jump into it. Um, Oregon has won seven of the last ten, and in in six of the seven have been just total butt kickings. The other one was a 44-41 win that many will remember in 2009, where they led that last – where the Arizona fans were on the field ready to celebrate and excited, and then they had to go back to the crowd because into, into the stands because Oregon forces overtime. They win in overtime. Everybody knows what happens there. It's a big-time big time victory um, to set up that Rose Bowl appearance um the other ones have been total butt kickings and I, the average margin has been 26 points including that 44 41 if you take that out it's closer to 30 um or it's in the 30s i think they're going to clear 26 points in this game i think they're going to cover but by the slimmest of margins the line right now matt is it 28 and a half is that where we yep. i think they cover by half a point um i'm picking oregon to win 42 to 13 i think oregon is up sizably in the first half I, I think this is going to be kind of an inverse of the stony brook game not that i think they're going to get dominated in the second half or not play great but i think they're going to play really well in the first half take control go up like 28 to 3 28 to 6 and then the second half is going to be pretty quiet pretty slow a lot of backups playing i think they're going to keep the playbook relatively vanilla obviously with backups out there i think they'll open it up some the only way i could see by the way Oregon really going gung-ho in the second half is if Jed Fish has some choice words for Mario Cristobal. <laughs> it's, a, it's a repeat of that fourth quarter where Mario's screaming at the other sideline and using some not-so-nice words, and they just kind of go, screw it. We're going for it on fourth down, up like five touchdowns in the fourth quarter for no reason other than just because this guy pissed me off. I, mean, I shouldn't say no reason because I'm sure there was more to it in terms of getting more snaps for your backups. But that would be the only way I think this gets like crazy, crazy out of hand. So I think 42 to 13. I've got – Oregon winning 45 to seven. Uh, I kind of looked at the 2019 game against Arizona where, you know, Oregon blew them out then. And I thought that Arizona team is significantly better than what it is now. Uh, they actually had competent quarterback play from, so. Semi. I, it's semi. Yeah. It's, it, it wasn't great, but it, I think it's better than the, the three headed, monstrosity that they have now i don't know what to call it i, was I don't want to call it a monster because it, yeah it's not <laughs> not a positive thing it's a bad no 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 uh, <laughs> but yeah i think i think oregon's just gonna run the ball basically all game long 
uh, and definitely break off a few big ones to score the necessary points. I think they'll cover pretty easily. Uh, I think their defense is going to show out. I mean, it's not going to be too difficult of a task for them to do so, but I do think that they'll hold Arizona steady. Like Matt was saying, like the, the 10 yards allowed against Stony Brook in the third quarter, I think you'll see something like that again, maybe in the second quarter. Um, I think the first quarter is pivotal because if Arizona seems like one of those teams where if Oregon scores, like Matt was saying earlier, if, he, if they score two or three times in the first quarter, like that could be the game. Like, I don't know if they'll be able to take blow after blow and then get back up and be like, look, we could still win this game. I, 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 Jed Fish is a good coach, you know, Patriot legend, but I, I don't know if he's going to have that like motivational factor where they're going to keep going after they're down 21, nothing or 21 to three or something like that. So I look for Oregon to kind of like Eric was saying, well, you're saying everything over here. Uh, I look for them to have a reverse Stony Brook where they're, they're blowing them out in the first half and then kind of taking their foot off the pedal in the second. So again, Oregon, 45, Arizona, 7. Jared, what constitutes a Patriots legend? Because last week it was Shane Vereen. This week it's Jed Fish. Hey, <laughs> I it's, think it's uh, for the Patriots for him. Uh, uh, Jed was a nice uh, offensive uh, offensive analyst, I believe he was. Uh, a Patriot legend is just anybody who played for the Patriots, so I can say it and annoy people. <laughs> That's my that, – <laughs> those are my qualifications. Success. Yep. Real, real quick, because I, I think after the Stony Brook game, there were a contingent of fans that were upset at how that game played out. Um, what what would constitute a bad performance by Oregon? Like what what going into this game? What should be an expectation? Like I don't know if there is a score. Like you could Oregon could win thirty five nothing, and I would walk away being like. Well, did they score 35 points in the first half and then put their, their backups in and just went super vanilla, and that's why they didn't do anything offensively? Like, I could be sold that that's okay, but I also could be sold that 35-7 to seven win would be a poor performance. Yeah, I don't know if it's score again. I, I, I really think it comes down to, like, personnel in the second half. Like, if, if Warren has to play at starters into the fourth quarter, that's a, that's that's just really disappointing. Um, this, this, I mean, cause you look at the schedule and, and, I, and we've talked about how the Pac-12 is not good and I'm not saying they are, but there aren't necessarily on the schedule, a lot more opportunities where I think you could have a quarter, two full quarters in the second half playing Ty Thompson, playing a bunch of young guys. This, this is the, a prime opportunity for that. Arizona is, is the worst team in the conference. It's at home. They still don't have a clue who their quarterback is. I mean, it's kind of got all the makings for a game where Oregon should win by a lot. Um, so I will be disappointed if, honestly, like last five minutes of the third quarter, if Anthony Brown still has to be in the game, if Alex Forsythe still has to be in the game, if you know Johnny Johnson and CJ Verdell are still playing. I mean, that that to me would constitute kind of a disappointing performance. Um, they're going to win the game, period. So like that part is pretty cut and dry. It's just to me like, do you get enough opportunities for your your reserves to really get out there and, and show some things. Cause again, these are, these are really important opportunities. Oregon's learned really, really, I mean, they've learned a tough lesson this year with the next man up thing and getting your next man up out there before they are the actual next man up, right? Like before this injuries do take place, cause you never know when they're going to happen. I just think those are super valuable. And again, even just knowing that Ty Thompson played about two and a half or about one, I should say one and a half quarters of pretty good football last week. I think that makes everybody feel a little bit better about the backup quarterback situation. So you want more opportunities like that, I think. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. I, I think in terms of a score perspective, a disappointing game could be probably not hitting the 40s and not covering, mostly not covering, I think, because I, I think that would say more about Oregon's defense than with their offense. But, yeah, by midway through the third quarter, um, if there are more than know, like probably eight starters on the field on both sides of the ball, like it's going to – it's just – it's probably too much. It's like, why, why are these guys in? Like, shouldn't this be the time for Jeffrey Bossa and everybody else and players like that to get on the field and get reps and earn them? Um, I, I have a hard time thinking Oregon's going to have a disappointing win. I think they're just going to have a solid win. I know sometimes fans expectations are a little too much where they want Oregon to win, you know, 64 to 10 and just make it a no show for Arizona. Uh, I think fans were disappointed against Stony Brook by the margin of victory because it was Stony Brook. If that same margin of victory happens against Arizona, I think people would be happier with it because it's a Pac-12, it's a conference opponent. It's a conference game. It's the first one of the season going into Stanford. Um, I, I I think it's it basically comes down to who's playing in the midway through the third and how much Oregon wins by in terms of what could present a, a – uh, a disappointing win i think for me i'll look at like how efficient or how hard did oregon have to work to extend drives or get off the football field like does arizona convert a lot of third downs do they face a lot of third and shorts or do they face a lot of third and longs um how how often does oregon face a third down situation on when they have the football and what kind of third downs are they having to convert if it's consistently a third and eight a third and seven you know something of that nature then they probably weren't very efficient offensively but if it's a third and one third and two third and three those are really easy to convert and that's probably mm -hmm. meaning you're winning on first down and, and getting positive yardage in your first two plays uh what do you do in the red zone like are you converting touchdowns or are you settling for Field goals. So those are the things that I'll be paying attention to. Um, turnovers, obviously, do you create and do you limit your turnovers like they've done the first three games? Um, I'm not really worried about the score. Like, obviously, yeah, if if this is a game in the fourth quarter and the start of the fourth, Oregon still has to have their starters in the football game, you do have to wonder why, what led to this. I, I wouldn't be too worried if it was a – similar first half where Oregon's leading by 10 at halftime or something of that nature. Um, it'd probably be a little bit of a disappointment, but football's a game that's played in 60 minutes, not 30. And you have to judge the full, you know, scope of it to look at it that way. But I'll be paying more attention to just how efficient Oregon is opposed to, you know, a final score result um, in that one. All right, that'll do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to today's show. And the next time that you hear our voices on the show or see us on YouTube, go to uh, Oregon Sports, uh, Oregon Ducks on 24-7 Sports uh, on YouTube. Like the page there as well. Um, next time you see and hear us, it will be late, late Saturday night, probably maybe Sunday morning when you wake up our post-game reaction podcast uh, from the Oregon-Arizona football game. So, until that time, make sure to go to DuckTerritory.com for all your Oregon Duck football coverage needs. We've got you taken care of on that site. And until then, you've been listening to the Ox Nautilus podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.